This podcast is part of the Podcast Arcade Network. Welcome to special episode 14 of Paranormal Dads. I'm your special co-host, Colton. I'm Pat. I'm Andy. And I'm Eddie. And we invite you to come along as we go in search of the world's monsters, myths, and mysteries on Paranormal Dads. Everybody, we are in Hastings, Nebraska. At the hotel room. In the hotel. Yeah. Recording fresh off of the second annual Nebraska Bigfoot Conference. Boy, we heard a lot of speakers today. <laughs> a lot of slideshows, a lot of really cool stories. Um, but we figured we'd better record, even though our brain is kind of mushed from absorbing all this information. We figured yeah. we'd better record while it's still fresh on our mind. Yeah. We also saw some very uh, big names in the Bigfoot community. My uh, goodness. Cliff uh, Brackman, yep, from, Brackman from Finding yep. Bigfoot. Uh, and then uh, Bob. Bob Gimlin. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he. this is the godfather, essentially, right? Like Bob Gimlin, if, if you were to look up famous Bigfoot photo... The photo that comes up, the famous one shot in 1967 in Willow Creek, uh, California, the one that's going to pop up, black and white image of a Sasquatch walking down a dry creek bed, uh, was shot by, uh, the, the footage was shot by uh, Roger Patterson and, and Bob Gimlin. Now, Roger Patterson passed away. Uh, Bob Gimlin came in, and it doesn't sound like he travels much anymore, but he came in especially for this conference and uh boy i mean it was like elvis walking into the building this guy is a rock star in the cryptozoological field and uh he's kind of this cute older cowboy 80 what 87 years old 86 i think yeah yeah, initially i think that's what he said anyway yeah Yeah. and we also have a very special co-host today hello this is my son colton uh joining us on this excursion and uh he didn't have school for a few days so he decided to come along and hang out with us so uh, it's been a good day all, all, yeah. all around. It's been a lot of hence, fun. Hence the dad part of Paranormal Dads. Yeah. Dad. You have children, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. proven now. <laughs> what would you think today, Colton? Was it, was it a great time? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Like you said, there are a lot of very interesting stories. There are some that are like pretty crazy and like, like how does that happen? But, yeah, there are a lot that, like, made logical, like, scientific sense. Like, yeah, that's possible. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, also there were all kinds of different vendors selling. If, you, if you're if you in the market oh, for wow. anything Bigfoot, you could have found it at this place. They yeah. had bumper stickers. They had uh, wall hangings. They had lunch boxes, which Eddie uh, was able to acquire. I'm the proud owner of a Bigfoot lunchbox. It's awesome. Yeah. Is there any other kind of owner of a Bigfoot lunchbox? <laughs> so you can put your beef Wellington inside of there. <laughs> we'll, get oh, that, we'll get to that. We'll get to we'll that. We'll get to Myers. that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it's like they a farmer's market for it's like the guy they, yeah. Wellington anymore. They had like a seven foot tall um, silhouette of yeah. Bigfoot. I mean, yeah. the thing weighed like a good 50 pounds. We, we were kind of curious to check the price. It was no. like $220, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, bring your wallet. But yeah. I mean, it was a big, it was a big hunkin' you know souvenir oh uh, substantial and mi- yeah. miniature yeah. ones too oh but. totally 
Yeah, there's there's a lot of cool stuff at, at a lot of price points. I mean, if you did want to walk, if you had a, if you had a budget in mind, you could definitely stick to it. But if you wanted to drop some cash, you could do that too. Yeah, for sure. Which but, we definitely did. But yeah, I kind of wanted to get Colton's perspective real quick. Uh, so there's other kids right now who are like, you know, sitting at home playing video games or they're watching Netflix, and you are you are on a paranormal convention road trip with your dad and his podcast buddies what is that like i mean that's what you do when you grow up with an awesome dad (laughs) (laughs) can i have an allowance increase dad (laughs) here's that 20 bucks you've been trying to get from me yeah i love it i love it um andy had called me a beef wellington and i feel like i need to respond to this it's his new nickname because uh so we're going to give you some of our adventures some of the things that we encountered getting into this town um uh to to hunker down and do the things that we needed to do so we get we get into town and we get into our hotels and we decide let's go get something to eat and you know for people who don't know what i do for a day job my uh good chunk of my time in the summer I do some traveling for work and I get to the point where hitting those chain restaurants just becomes kind of monotonous like yeah. so I like trying whatever's local and so I asked the the uh, the um, hotel staff what would be a good place to go they made a recommendation uh, which I'll, I'll recommend the place it's called the Odyssey they, um, it was good. They even showed us a menu. Yeah, they, they gave, gave us, us a menu. menu. We, we I thought it was kind of strange. I, I, I saw some pretty fancy things on there, uh, yeah. fancy ingredients. I, did, I didn't know what they were. Yeah. Sure. And I didn't see nachos and things like that. No, there were not nachos. So not, there, not were, necessarily there were a, a long list of burgers, though. And yeah. we're thinking, oh, that'll work. And there was like a bacon, egg, lettuce, tomato I, sandwich right. on, the, on the lunch menu, which is what she gave us. I knew they were a slightly fancier place, but on the lunch thing there was a charcuterie board and there was a <laughs> charcuterie <laughs> ratatouille so, but we decided to give it a whirl <laughs> and so we did and we go and it's one of those great and if anybody I'm sure everybody out there has had this experience where you walk into a place and you're in a town you don't live or whatever and you don't really know you know, you're just kind of going on a whim, and we walk into this place, and within a few minutes, or within a few seconds... A few seconds, yes. It's, yeah, it's like, <laughs> we're not supposed to be here. Not even not supposed to well, be here, but it wasn't what we had in mind. Right. Yeah. We agreed it, gentlemen, where's your reservation? <laughs> and we're like, oh, no. Like, um, <laughs> so anyway, the point we is, we one? decided we're already here, let's experience it, and it was a wonderful meal. Very yeah, fancy. It was, Very it was fancy. delicious. And, but it just wasn't what we had, what we had pictured in our brain being what we're going to have. The point is on the menu, one of the items was Beef Wellington. And I was even like, well, I've never had Beef Wellington before. I did not order it. I got chicken fried steak. Hello. But it was a fancy <laughs> chicken was, fried steak. It was steak. like it a was. New York. It was like a New York strip. Oh, it wasn't, you no. know, chopped or anything. It, it was, was delicious. Yeah. I could just picture this alter ego of Eddie that had a top hat and a cane and a monocle and some mustache wax and, man, Beef Wellington, she. <laughs> I say this Beef Wellington is the, is the best I've had in Nebraska. Gordon Ramsay has nothing on the Odyssey. Gordon Ramsay is a hack. He's a fool. Eddie's advice to us all was just... Just roll with it, guys. Just play it like you're Tony Stark and you belong here. That's what I said. And that's what we did. We owned it, and we had a good time. What'd you say? It's not what you wear into a fancy restaurant. It's how you carry yourself. That's That's what I said. Yeah. That's some good life advice. And then yeah. we had and we had Taco Bell this afternoon to balance it out. <laughs> oh yeah. And the funny thing about that is that when we walked in, Eddie um, was like, "Yes, can I please have beef Wellington?" Like we were talking about it in the car. He was like, "Eddie, you should totally ask for beef Wellington," and he did it, and it was the funniest thing poor, ever. Poor kid, he must have been about eighteen years old. He had never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> and he thought I don't you were think serious. we have that, sir. 
I threatened to go back and make it myself. <laughs> I can do it. Just going to be back in the kitchen. We'll I'm new here. I don't know. Maybe we have it. I don't know. <laughs> this guy wants beef wellington. <laughs> Who's Mr. Wellington? <laughs> it was the best. Yeah, it was fun. But anyway. At least we didn't ask for a Sasquatch meat or anything know, like right? that. <laughs> that they would have known. They'd yeah. Like, we got some in the back. You know, we got the crazies here. Well, not everyone is hip to the Bigfoot scene. Actually, I had to go up to the front desk a few minutes ago here at the hotel and you know, get some something cleared up. And there was three young guys at the front desk checking in and getting a room for the night. And the, the gal at the front desk, desk was kind of flustered. She said, sorry, guys, you know, I'm just, it, there's not many rooms available. We have the Bigfoot conference in town. <laughs> the look on their faces were priceless. They looked at each other like, yeah. Bigfoot, what? Like, big, <laughs> I've never seen a Bigfoot around here. What are you talking about? I feel like it's weird that we have to, like, justify that to people. Yeah. Like, like there's a convention for everything. For everything. Yeah. You know, like Probably it's a not... Beef Wellington convention somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to go find one right now. Honestly. Put that in the link of the show notes. <laughs> the Beef Wellington convention. Um, I'd be remiss if we, before we dove into the event, if I didn't talk about how we got to stand in front of, and please check our Facebook page and Twitter, we got to stand in front of, we found Bigfoot. We did find him. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. pretty tall. Pretty tall. He's got big he's, tires. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's bluer than I thought he would be. Yeah, he has more decals on him yeah. than I pictured. I think he's sponsored by Firestone now, too. <laughs> and he would wreck my garage if I tried to pull him in. <laughs> Any Bigfoot would be bad in a garage, especially this one. Uh, but yeah, but it's the monster truck from the 80s. But they had probably one of the original ones you pointed out, Pat, because it was a very old body style. Yeah, yeah. It was at the local Ford dealership. They had him parked out front, so we... Made the little trip down the highway just to check him out. Got our picture taken in front of Bigfoot, right next to the Taco Bell, by the way. Yeah, so I know, right? It was very convenient. Does it get more American than that? <laughs> that, thing, that thing was massive. It was, a, what, 15 feet tall, maybe? Somewhere oh, in that ballpark. At, at least. It's a one-story house. I mean, it's a one-story. Yeah. Yeah. No, no taller than one story. Taller than one story. One yeah. and a half stories, maybe? It was, it was a crazy-looking truck, and uh, Eddie later on looked up a, a video on YouTube oh, that man. It was looked like a trailer for a movie or something, yeah, a Bigfoot yeah. movie from the 80s. Exactly. Oh. He was stuck in traffic, and he just decides to just take off and drive o- over all these cars and just crush all the cars yeah, in the traffic. Like, so like, good. It so, looks like he's, like, raising up on a platform, and these big wheels puff out, and they just... <laughs> so good. Just but, destroys uh, everything. Bigfoot the truck, he's awesome. Yeah. Bigfoot the truck smells like squatch. <laughs> <laughs> But the convention was great, too. You know, earlier in the day, uh, there were various presenters with uh, different PowerPoint presentations, and some were talking about the uh, kind of the, what would you call it, the flora? The flora, definitely. You, you yeah. know, uh, trees yeah. uh, uh, trees that might provide uh, food for Bigfoot. Food and uh, personal stuff. And berries. Uh, there was another presenter that, that kind of talked about personal stories of um, encounters with Sasquatch leaving her family gifts. Uh, there was even stories uh, involving guys who claimed that, you know, during a, a camping outing, he couldn't find any firewood, and suddenly they go on the other side of the truck, and there's a gigantic log propped up right against the truck that was so he- that wasn't there a few minutes earlier. Right. That was so heavy, he could barely even carry it back to the fire and put it on there. Yeah. But he was glad. I mean, if it was a gift from from Sasquatch that were observing their situation. It was a very nice gift because mm-hmm. uh, uh, apparently it was a rainy day. He couldn't get the fire started, and they had two special needs kids out there with them at the campground that were getting cold. Yeah. So they they think that perhaps the it was a 
moment of empathy from from the Bigfoots that were seeing them from afar, and they they gave them a, a big dry log. It was it was I mean, in in as outlandish as that as that might sound, I think oftentimes information is only as credible as the person it's coming from, and the person telling that story seemed very sincere, very yeah. genuine. And a lot of the people today, I, I would say, are not prone to making things up. I, for one, believed the stories they, they shared. That was a gentleman from Colorado, wasn't it? He, yeah. He, yeah. he runs, there's a special group in Colorado, kind of like the BFRO, if you're familiar with that Bigfoot group. But uh, they specialize just in uh, sightings and, and investigate sightings in and around uh, the state of Colorado. And it, I believe it's... Um, Sir. Sir. Sir, S-I-R. Yeah. Yeah. So... Google Sir and check that out, Sir Bigfoot and uh, Colorado, and uh, they've got some interesting pictures on their website. Uh, th- I think they might even have some uh, sound recordings and yeah. things like that you can check out. Yeah, what I liked about this too, like what you were kind of touching on Andy and Pat, was that there was a nice balance of personal experience stories, but also like some science, some like you know evidence-based stuff as well. Um, particularly the, uh, she wasn't an ecologist. I keep getting that. Was she a botanist? I she believe was, she was a botanist of some kind, yeah. Going into the different types of plants that would support um, any type of animal that would need the certain types of things and then heavily leaning it towards Sasquatch. Um, and then we did get into um, uh, Cliff Barockman's um, presentation where he had a lot of evidence-based yeah. uh, things. And for those who might not know, he's one of the four main hosts of the Animal Planet show Finding Bigfoot, and uh, which you know has been going on for a hundred plus episodes. So he's been literally really all over, show. all over the country, all over the world in search of these creatures. And he had a lot of good information to share. A lot of his presentation initially centered around the hand shape and handprints that they've gotten of Bigfoot, which I thought was a really interesting take. And he shared just a, a number of uh, really cool-looking casts that have been made from handprints, also photos taken of handprints, and even stories about um, what the Finding, Big Cr- Finding Bigfoot crew went through trying to videotape some of these handprints. Um, there, there was one story where... They were kind of cleaning the door around the handprint. They, you know, it's television. They want to make it look nice. Then they realized that the handprint was actually on the inside of a glass door. So this creature actually had opened up the door to this house and, you know, had his hand on the inside around of the house. The, right. That'd yeah. be pretty unnerving if that was and your like, house. By the pictures, like that was not a human hand size. Like. That was like, what did they say, like 14 inches? It was massive. It was, huge. It, was it was like twice the size of a, of a man's hand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's bigger than a foot yeah. of a person. Yeah. When they had the hand comparison, and this was probably a different story, but it was the one where the, there was a handprint on the outside of someone's house. And the oh, police the big traced boom. it. Just seeing the scale difference was just fright. It was like a baby hand inside of an adult human hand. They actually used a ladder just to find it on the house, and it was on part of the roof. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was it? It was. It, it was, was like at eight, least nine, eight nine a, feet. I think it was like uh, eight and a half feet up there, and like apparently the guy, it was like two thirty a.m. or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And he in was working in his office, and then he hears just this big boom outside. And, like, the next morning, he goes and investigates it, and he finds that huge handprint up there. Yeah. You so. can definitely see, 
because Cliff kind of touched on this too with the whole post-traumatic stress, how some people when they witness a Sasquatch sighting, how they experience post-traumatic stress symptoms. I mean, when you see something that is so tall that it can actually put its hand on the roof of your house, I mean, that just makes me weak in the knees just kind of thinking know. about that. It's like, kind of like the intro to the show Finding Bigfoot. It's impossibly large, you know? Yeah. It's just, I can't, it's, it's hard to wrap your brain around how huge these creatures would be. You know, and everyone had their own account and their own story. Uh, towards the end of the night, Cliff actually opened it up to what they call a town hall meeting, which was basically just a chance for uh, attendees at, at the conference to share their own personal accounts. One of my favorites was this older gentleman uh, in his 60s or 70s, long white beard, you know, the kind of guy who looks like he'd, he'd have some cool stories, and, and yeah. he shared a doozy. And he it shared it so in good. such a down-to-earth, straightforward uh, way that it, it was almost impossible not to believe him. Um, we, we had some audio uh, recording of him sharing that story. It was kind of hard to hear, so we figured we'd just kind of retell it and uh, um, summarize in our own words what he said tonight. The part that got me, and I think we talked about this briefly after uh, the town hall meeting with Cliff, was that this gentleman, which I forget his name. I don't think he ever gave his name. I don't think he did either. I don't no. think Cliff asked for names, actually. No, so, he didn't. so no names were given. But, uh, I mean, we're being, this is, I mean, we're relaying this story 100% the best that, that we remember this, was what got me particularly was how earnest this guy was. And he wasn't so much trying to convince the audience. He was just sharing these details. But the funny part about it was the details seemed to come so easily that it's one of those things that you would think, no matter how long you lived, this would just live in your memory. And he was a yeah. younger guy. What did he, the were they teenagers at the he time? He said like early yeah. 20s, yeah. late, yeah. late teens, so. or yeah, young. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so the premise was it was calving season, and Cliff didn't catch that. He thought he said cabin season. <laughs> calving well, you season. You go out and hunt a cabin? What you, you shoot do? houses here in Nebraska? <laughs> Is that what, <laughs> Is that what yes. you crazy Nebraska? Boys do. <laughs> Cows were having babies. Cows were having babies. Baby calves. And so what happens, obviously, is that the, mo the mother cows are surrounded by their babies. And what they observed, it was at night with friends. They were driving by, and they saw that the babies were being surrounded by the mothers. The mothers were corralling the babies and keeping them safe. And so his uh, this gentleman's observation to the crowd was, this is a sign that there's a predator around. We thought there may have been coyotes around. So they got out to try to, you know, see what was going on, to try to secure their, you know, freshly born calves. And so he gets into the pen and starts kind of adjusting the fence, fixing the gate. The gate was askew. Is that what I, is that what you guys yeah, gathered yes. from that? Like that? The gate was ajar, so he's in there fixing the gate. So far the story is very kind of mundane. I mean there's not yeah, a lot. It's like Right. We don't know what's going to happen. And then his friends observe a the silhouette of a very tall figure off to the side and based on what they thought it may have been a horse is that what they thought initially he wasn't sure because of the shape was yeah. off he, yeah. he could see some eyes but they couldn't tell what it was yeah and this go ahead and then, well and then he said get in the truck yeah his friend was yeah. like get in the truck and, and he didn't know why he's like why what do you see he's yeah like, get in the truck yeah and this creature is is coming Right for them. Well, and they said that there was this vertical pipe that was standing on end right. that was over six like feet an tall. Pipe. An irrigation pipe, you know, those, those, those corrugated metal pipes. And this thing was kind of hiding or half, half hiding behind it. But, it. but it was sticking, like the pipe stopped at its sternum and its, its, its body was well above 
this pipe. Yeah, and the pipe was like six feet six tall. Six feet so, over six feet so tall. So this thing's yeah. like six easily eight feet, eight, nine eight feet. Eight plus. Yeah. And then uh, they had shown a light on it, and they started on the ground, thinking that they would be able to shine it on the ground, seeing what it was, but then weren't able to get a clear visual, so then pointed the light up, got it in this thing's face... To which then he said that he saw what looked like like like, like a reflection in the in, in, in the creature's eyes. Mm-hmm. To which then it put up a, a, a long up arm. humanoid arm to, to, to shield him his eyes from the light to block its eyes from the light. And at this point, he said his buddy in the car pulled out a gun, pointed it at the creature, and, and said, he was in the car at this point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he said, "Should I shoot?" Yeah. And he said yes at first. At first, he said yes. Yeah. And he said. And his buddy, his other buddy, was no, no, like, I "Don't think, do it." I think it. Wait, were there three people? There was. There's three kids in the car. Oh, I thought. I thought it was just him and his buddy. It was. I, h- I missed that. Him and two friends. Okay. One was driving. One was in the back seat or whatever, and the other one, and they were in some sort of Dodge car because mm-hmm. that was, was the big like thing. Station wagon. I mean, they station said wagon. That's what it was like a station wagon. And then, wagon. and then, two, like two wheel drive. Yeah, one pulled a gun, like a like a rifle, and the other one did not. And asked, should I shoot? He, being the man who tells the story, said yes. The other friend, the third friend, was no, don't. We don't know what that is. And they did not. And they did not. Shoot. Which is good. Right. You know. Right. You should never shoot a gun at and then anything you don't know. You don't what know what it is. It could just be a very <laughs> and then, tall human. Pat, I'll let you put a frosting on this one because the thing <laughs> took off. And then, yeah. Well, you know, they, the the creature took off and. And he said, you know, I remember this as clear as day, and this is something I will never forget. I know what I, what I saw, which is something you hear so many yeah. times from these people. He says, I don't care what anybody says to me. I know what I saw. Yeah. And it was it was a big foot. Well, and, and, and there was, was a fence. Uh, he said a four, oh, four yeah. foot oh, fence, maybe. Wire fence. Um, so the, the creature... Starts start, starts running in the way that he put it. The creature leaped over this four. It was a four or five foot fence. Leaped over it like an Olympic sprinter going over a hurdle. Yeah, like it was nothing. Yeah, you're talking world class athleticism, and this thing just was gone off into the night. And he described it running as a person with arms swinging, like a just running. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, they they did try to follow it through a, a series of gates. They couldn't get the car through fast enough. Then it went into some rocky uh, terrain, and he said, if we follow that thing in there and this car gets stuck, we're going to have to walk back out. And they, yeah. they were not prepared no. to do that. No. no. So, uh, Plus, I mean, and this is good advice for anything. If something that you don't know is running away from you, don't maybe go after it. Because then you're just going to scare it, and then maybe it might get, like, angry at you. Exactly. And, like, try to, you don't know, like, what that thing can do. Right. So. Yeah. Same thing for like stray dogs and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> don't go chasing after. Don't pet my dog if I don't say but so. But such a such a sobering story because when the guy was done, there was a palatable silence in the right. room. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, people crazy. were on the edge of their seat. Yeah, he, he definitely had everybody's attention yeah. with that one. Yeah, but uh, th- there were a number of, of interesting stories. But it was kind of cool at the end. Uh, we finished maybe twenty minutes early, so Cliff kind of opened it up to questions about. Mm-hmm. The Finding Bigfoot program and yep. says, "Okay, what kind of questions do you have about the show? Let's talk about the show." And and uh, and I believe know. we're sharing some of those, right? Is that the yeah. idea? We, we do have, have some recordings of, of that conversation, which we'll 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 share in the episode. Yeah, yeah. with with uh, Cliff's permission, I asked him afterwards, and he said, "Yeah, feel free to share some of the audio of uh, me speaking tonight." As so as long as it's like nothing personal, right? So. But but you know, 
Speaking of Cliff, though, couldn't have been a nicer guy. Oh. He's just a great oh guy. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so open. It was just a pleasure to meet him and talk with him, and you know he was very open to us. We, I think we walked up to him two or three times today. I think yeah. three times, and, solid. And yeah, he was always very welcoming and and uh, willing to talk. Well, Colton wowed him with his sweet Rubik's cube <laughs> skills there. So yeah. that that was our that was, was our opening. He saw my sweatshirt, <laughs> yeah, and then he was like, "My wife does Rubik's cubes." He yeah. actually so. took a video of Colton sol- solving a Rubik's cube. Colton can do it, you know. Yeah pretty quickly and uh later on he, he showed us his wife texted him back and she said he's so fast i'm so old and slow <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, was good. that was fun they had great merchandise on every table too at, at cliff's particular booth uh he was selling uh replica replicas of authentic uh casts of a uh, bigfoot feet uh, you know, out in the out in the field, and these things were heavy. I couldn't help myself. I had to splurge a little bit, and I got one. And this thing's massive. I mean, it has, yeah. has some weight to it. Yeah, it's like if you dropped it, it would just completely shatter. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's like five or ten pounds. I was joking. Yeah. You could probably Juliana carrot with that, or chop up your dinner because on the edges it's super sharp. <laughs> it's sharp. Yeah. At this Can point, beef with Wellington, it being anybody? <laughs> make beef Wellington with that. Yeah, I mean, thing. you could. It could be a paperweight, a doorstop, a you know, a Ginsu knife, or I mean, you could really do some. <laughs> you could do some damage. Damage, you know, uh, used as a nightstick if you needed to. Like that's like the ultimate rock for throwing into your neighbor's house. I, I got to get a concealed to carry permit for that thing, man. I Sir, do, do you damage. have a license to carry that? <laughs> do you have a license for that Bigfoot foot? <laughs> but the cool thing is, Cliff also signed it for you on the back. He signed it, and also Bob, and Gimlin, so Bob Gimlin. Bob Gimlin signed it as well. Oh man, that guy. You know, and the thing about Bob Gimlin, 86, 87 years old. I mean, he just, he was, he was just eating it up. And you, you would think that, you know, somebody who's been in the limelight at the epicenter of the cryptozoological like, uh, world for so many years like that he'd be a little years. burnt out or tired of this all. Every person who came up and wanted a picture with him, and there was a long line. There was. He more than obliged. He was joking, telling jokes, hugging people, I mean, signing babies, blowing kisses. <laughs> like, he was loving it. Kissing and it was, it was really refreshing to see that. He could knock me out in one punch, by the way. He looks oh, yeah. that tough. His his handshake. Yeah. I mean when when he shook my hurt. hand, yeah. Yeah. It was like squeezing a bag of chips. It was like crunch. I'm like, ah, Bob Gimlin, you're strong. Hey, buddy. Your Sasquatch strength. I feel your strength. Like it, he was a tough dude and such a sweet, approachable guy. And I just liked his vibe. Um, just a just a solid dude. Yeah. So uh well let's go into some of that uh discussion we had with Cliff Brockman of Finding Bigfoot. He went on uh, to tell us a little bit about what went on behind the scenes on the TV show, and uh, we'll come back uh, shortly after that. Sounds good. As I look back, and first of all, we did about 100 episodes, and my, my memory's a big mushy mess of all of them. People ask me, remember when you were at this particular particular town and so-and-so, and I go, no, I remember being in the state. You know, but I, but uh, it's a big mushy mess. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Australia one was amazing. Yeah, I guess it would probably have to be one of the international ones because those do stand out so strongly. And Australia was phenomenal because I interacted with the yaoi, with the clapping and stuff like that I was doing. Um, Australia is also one of the very few places that I've been that I would love to go back to. Don't, don't be offended, Nebraska. But like I do a lot of traveling, and I I met wonderful people everywhere I've gone. But but out of those hundred episodes, I look back I'm like if I could go back anywhere, where would that be? 
or maybe off in Australia. It's kind of way up there. Um, because the Bigfoots are right outside of town, and even the Yowie researchers don't realize how accessible they are. They're right there. And if you've ever been in like Southern California, like San Diego or somewhere like that, it would be lovely except all the people, right? That's what Australia's like. San Diego with like one-fourth the number of people. Beach culture, 70-degree ocean water, lovely day every day, and Bigfoots are about 30 minutes that way. It's awesome. <laughs> But I mean, looking back, I mean, so many things on the show, crash landing in a hot air balloon. How can I forget that? How can I even put that in order? So when you ask, what's your favorite? I have to say, I am not good at superlatives. To say something is my favorite makes me feel like all the other ones aren't as good. And I just don't think like that. Because whether it's crash landing in a balloon, going to Australia and interacting with the Yowie, camping solo in a tiger preserve and, and recording the only known vocalization of an orangutan deck. I mean, all of these things are highlights. I think any one person would be lucky to have one of those experiences. And for some reason, I've been blessed with that many. I can't possibly just name one. I can say finding Bigfoot is, will be probably the most treasured period of my life. I met my wife there. I got married this past June. I met her on my show. And that was the best thing that I could ever do. Melissa. No, I, I've been, um, uh, the one story people ask me, are you afraid? And yeah, they've been around, there's a knock and a howl over there. But you know, whenever I get really concerned and get kind of creeped out, because I go big footing alone kind of a lot, it's my preferred <laughs> way to go. Um, when they're around and I'm out there alone, I'm usually okay with it. But every once in a while I get a little spooked, right? Go to bed. That's my answer to it. Go to bed. Because, a couple reasons. Number one, that shows them that I'm still here, they know exactly where I am. Here's the secret the big thing in one sentence. You must become a predictable feature in their environment. And what's more predictable than some dude in a tent? Right? <coughs> that gives them free reign to do whatever they want. They want to come in and play with the tent? They can. They want to walk through my camp and go through my food stuff that I leave out for them? Absolutely. They want to do, they want to scream at me, great, bring it on. Because I am prepared when I go to bed. I put game cameras in the middle of my camp amongst all my other gear that I leave out so it's indistinguishable from all the other human things in my camp facing outwards. They are welcome to come. And so far I've failed every single time. <laughs> I've only spoken to one person that I have complete faith in that claims they've seen a dog man, okay? And it was walking by a Yeah, I But I've that. spoken to dozens and dozens of witnesses that saw Sasquatches on all fours. Yeah, so that does in fact happen. Because remember how smart we give credit for Sasquatches being, or two Sasquatches for being, right? Do they know they're really visible if they're this high? Of course they do. So they go down. But look at the Mike Green footage, the thermal footage from North Carolina, um, that, and, which is a very telling and instructional video for all of us. See, because here's the problem with Bigfooters. Well, I've got so many problems with Bigfooters, but one of my many problems with Bigfooters, including myself, is that we all want to be Roger Patterson. We all want to be the guy or gal holding the camera and watching it through the, the, um, the viewfinder, even though you get a much worse view. I mean, Gimlin had a better view. But anyway, we all want to be that person. Mike Green got his footage because he removed himself from that situation. Mike, here, if you don't know the Mike Green story, 
North Carolina. He saw a Sasquatch there the year before. He's been camping in this one campsite at this one campground, um, pretty much two or three or four weekends a month. He'd show up on Friday, leave Sunday, do the same thing all the time. He was trying to habituate them, right? He was doing the same thing. He was becoming a predictable feature in their environment, right? So, and he heard something down there. Oh, and he had this one stump that he had the gifting stump or whatever. He'd go put things on it, food or little rubber ducky things. And sometimes it'd be gone, sometimes it wouldn't. Sometimes he'd find it later, sometimes he'd never find it at all, that kind of stuff. This one time, he heard something down in the ravine. He went and put a candy bar on the stump, and he went back to the rig, right? And he was setting up his uh, thermal camera back here at the rig, and he's saying, well, what am I gonna do with this? And he realized, I mean, he's hearing this thing, he doesn't know if it's a big, but you never do. You know, because big things sound little in the woods, and vice versa, little things sound big. But what he did, he trained the thermal imager on the stump, he got in his car, and drove away. Drove about a mile down the road, and played solitaire on his phone for the next couple hours. When he got back, candy bar was gone, he went home, he checked the footage, Sasquatch. He removed himself from that situation, right? That's important, I think. It's an important lesson for all of us. And I totally forgot what I was trying to answer. <laughs> but I thought it'd be fun to say it like that, like I did answer it. You <laughs> forgot what I asked. <laughs> oh, yeah, dog man. Dog man, thank yeah, you. No. So here, I, okay, I'm on my second marriage. This one's going to stick, but I'm on my second marriage. My first wife played Bigfooting with me and stuff until we ran into one that scared the hell out of her and she didn't do it again. But anyway, lovely woman. I'm still in contact with her. I married her for a reason. She's great. But anyway, Monica was her name. Monica's cousin, he told me a story about going home in Virginia when he was still in college. Uh, this, I was married to Monica at the time, so his family told me this. Uh, going in and out of fog banks in western Virginia, not west Virginia, western Virginia in the mountains. Bringing his girlfriend home at like 2.30 in the morning. Fog banks going real slow, dangerous driving. He comes out of the fog bank, and up ahead of him, there's a figure walking in the middle of the road. You know, And he's getting closer to this cliff. The first thing I saw was like the gnarled muscles in his back. It looked like an oak tree root system, is what he told me. And he was walking with this sort of like rolling thing going. He got closer, he saw a tail. And he goes, what? what? And he's like going up, and the girlfriend's asleep. And he goes up next to it, and kind of cruises up next to it, and like, and from me to him, the thing goes, looks right at him. Well, this guy, he screams and splits, wakes up his girlfriend, panics. But there we go, family member, no reason to lie to me, and of such high security clearance he can't even use his real name, telling me he saw a dog man from two and a half feet. Now, don't get me wrong, I do not want dog man to be real. <laughs> They scare the hell out of me, you know? I do not want that reality to exist in my reality. What am I gonna do? I think Sasquatch is one all for us though. I don't think Dogman do as much, but I don't know anything about those things because I don't want to study them, you know? I don't want to hold them in my mind. I gotta deal with giant ape men. Let's see what time it is. Three minutes, one more question, anything at all. Ruby Master. <laughs> What's the closest you've ever been to having a Class A sighting? I've only seen a Sasquatch once, so what I believe was a Sasquatch once, and it was not a Class A sighting, it was a Class B.
Uh, there really was something on the hill. And what ended up in the footage of uh, that episode was Matt on the hill, and they circled Matt. And they pretended Matt was a Bigfoot because during the first season, the, edit, the production company, not Animal Planet, but the production company felt okay about deceitful editing, I feel. The, there was that episode, there was when Bobo and Matt saw the horse in um, Florida that they made it seem like Bobo and Matt saw Bigfoot. Because that production company had done other shows before, um, like the ironically named Destination Truth. And they assumed that this show would be the same. Like, whoever's on TV would be happy to be on TV and pretend that we saw things that we didn't. But they made a mistake. They hired real Bigfooters. That's a huge mistake. You can make much better television with, like, actors, like Mountain Monsters or something like that. And that's a great TV show. It's fun. It's not real, but it's fun. Unfortunately, they hired us, so they were stuck with us. And, I, and we, when we found out they edited us deceitfully, you know, like, they were kind of pulling one. Um, I just went on my blog and said, no, that was a horse. Like, no. I remember Woolheater actually called me. He says, Cliff, what was up with that? What did Matt and Bobo see? And like, right after the Florida episode, you texted me or called me or something right that same night. And I just said, no, that's a horse, man. So I went on, no, Matt and Bobo did not see a Bigfoot. That was a horse. And then phew, the emails started. And the attacks online started. And the slandering and the rudeness and all this other stuff. And I said, no, man, it was a horse. I'm telling you the truth. Like, don't attack me for telling you the truth. And Bubba goes, like he's on his Facebook Twitter, dude, I love it. If you don't like it, here's, here, here's the email for the CEO of Discovery. Well, it didn't take very many emails passing his desk for him to go, what? Excuse me, Animal Planet, what? And then Animal Planet goes, production company, what? And the production company's, guys, aren't you going to play ball? I'm going, no, you hired real big footers, too bad. And, they, and then they flew the network executives out from New York to calm the weird Bigfoot people down. And I remember standing, they, they, they found us, well, they came to us while we were filming the first Oregon episode with the fly fishing video thing. In there. And um, they, we were at some, some cabin out in the middle of nowhere. The owners of the production company, Keith Hoffman from Animal Planet and a few other like suits from New York and stuff. And we were just standing up yelling at them, yelling at them. You can't make me lie. Sasquatches deserve more than this. They deserve our respect. And you know, your stupid show's gonna go away in three years, even if we're successful, and I'm gonna be Bigfoot the rest of my life. It's not worth it. And they're going like, who's trying to make you lie? He said, nope. So anyway, because of that turmoil on the show, we got a couple concessions out of them. That's where the camping segment of the show started. Because it's, it's really hard to find Bigfoots with a, two or three camera guys and a producer and a sound guy walking around camping. We went out with one guy in a hand, handheld camcorder. It's the best we can do, right? That's also where we made the rule, anyone caught trying to hoax us on, on staff, on crew, fired that day, plane ticket the next day, never worked for our show again. We lost three producers over the years, yeah. It was all that first time. I mean, after the, after the second season, when they brought people on the show, they said, number one, these guys are weird. Number two, <laughs> number two, do not hoax. If you hoax, you are fired. And never happened again. Never happened again. So we won, only because you guys did. We all won, because you were watching the show. That's what did it. Because truth does win out. Honesty is worth something. 
you know, and, and as we all pulled together, you guys watched the show because you thought we were being honest, and we were. And I'm proud to say at this point, many, I won't even say all, the camera guys, the sound guy, you name it, they've all worked on the ghost shows. They've all worked on this paranormal show or that show or something like that. And they all walk away saying, you guys care more than I've ever seen. And I've never worked on a more real reality show than Finding Bigfoot. So at the end of the day, that's something to be proud of, I think. I don't know what's next, but should I just say goodbye, Terry? All right, well, we hope you enjoyed some of uh, Cliff, uh, some of the audio from Cliff that he shared with us tonight. And there's still a lot to look forward to for tomorrow. It's a two-day event. So what's on board for tomorrow? Tomorrow we get to see a movie. Uh, yeah. It's, it's uh, the premiere of The Legend of Bigfoot by Bob Gimlin. And it looks like what it is is a documentary type uh, movie about uh, the days and uh, the event of the Pine, Pine Bluff uh, sighting uh, or Bluff Creek, I guess it's called. Yeah. Down in California. And, uh, you know, the most famous Bigfoot m film of all time. Um, so just kind yeah, of the story like, behind that film, which should be a lot of fun. Probably the most you know, clear footage, too. I've seen that. And granted, I saw it you know, originally. I mean, and you showed me this show, Pat. You reminded me of, I forget the name of it now, but it was hosted by Leonard Nimoy. Was uh, it? In Search Of. In Search Of. And they showed the Patterson-Gimlin footage. And especially now that they were able to kind of clean up a lot of those um, those visual artifacts and kind of take some of the shakiness out and all that, seeing that footage again, it's so hard. Like, it looks like an animal. Yeah, absolutely. It does not look like a person in a suit at all. And like for the, so I, many people, their first view of a Bigfoot, that's what it was. Yeah. It was the Gimlin film. Uh, back in the 70s, I mean, that, that brought... The world of Bigfoot to a lot yeah. of people. That that episode of In Search of. Oh man, I'm excited for and I, and I like a good documentary too. So. Yeah, I think everybody <laughs> does. It's gonna be great. I'm amped. Oh man. Same. Yeah, world premiere of an awesome documentary. More more panels. More discussion. Yeah. I guess more, we better get some rest. More. Yeah, <laughs> more squatchiness. <laughs> dream about Bigfoot tonight. <laughs> hey, everybody. We want to thank you for listening. Uh, be sure you check out a lot of our photos from this event are on Facebook. We're on Twitter, and we are now on Instagram. Well done. Uh, all Good of job, them, Dad. Uh, just Paranormal Dads, do a search for that, and you'll find us. Uh, you can uh, also hear any sound effects we use. We kind of cut back on the sound effects a little bit this, this uh, episode, but sound effects are from freesound.com. Thank you all. Yeah. Keep it squatchy. Keep it squatchy. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to lay down some sweet dulcet tones for you guys now. A dulcet? Paranormal dance. <laughs> that is what we are. Nowhere in between. Why could we be wrong? Sail away with Pat and Eddie to another world. 
And we'll rely on psychic Andy mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> From one paranormal dad to another mm-hmm. <laughs> Or are we really hot? <laughs> <laughs>